Welcome everyone to week four of our series, Jesus and Politics. Well, clearly I am not Paul. Uh, this is not Paul's name beneath me on your screen. And this is not Paul's home around me like we're all accustomed to over these last months. So I wanted to start this morning by doing something to make us all feel at home, to set that proper new life online teaching mood. So this is what I came up with to help us ease into the morning. Well, there we go. I hope you feel better. I know I do. I feel like now we're ready to jump into our teaching. And if you're new or new-ish with us here, um, jump back and have a look at some of our videos from January and February of this year. And what we just did there will make a lot more sense. Well, today we're talking about Jesus and healthcare. And I bet you that's probably something you never thought you'd hear in a sermon title. But I think it's something that Jesus actually has some things to say to us about. And with our thanks to the Brockwells for reading those two sections of Matthew 9, if I were to ask you to summarize what they read in one short, quippy sentence, maybe it would be, Jesus healed people. And that's true. That's true of that passage. And it's true of Jesus' ministry in general. Jesus healed people. I want to peel back some layers of that today. And I think more is revealed to us about Jesus' priorities. So first, let's focus in on verses 18 through 26. There are two stories of healings in these verses. In the first story, a ruler comes and kneels before Jesus, asking for healing for his daughter. And in the Matthew account of this story, the daughter is already dead. In the Mark and Luke accounts of this story, the daughter is near death, but the situation is mortally serious in either case. The ruler here, the word that we see is archon which means a community leader or the head of the Jewish synagogue. In Mark 5 and in Luke 8, this is identified as a man named Jairus, the head of the local synagogue. And if we were talking about maybe smaller communities, you know, he could be serving in both roles. Uh, but in any case, he is a person of some prominence. Now let's skip ahead to verse 23. And this says, when Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. Well, flute players and a crowd. That's not what we expect to find at funerals, is it? But this was a typical Jewish mourning scene of the time for the family of a prominent individual. And this crowd would have included people that were just designated as professional mourners, people that were paid to be there to create this sort of dramatic scene because of the social importance of the family involved. 
And the nearest comparison that I could sort of think of in my memory would be the funeral 20-some years ago of Princess Diana. Um, I recall watching that on TV and seeing the spectacle of the cathedral and the crowds and the performers of Elton John singing and playing at the piano for her. Uh, professional mourners. But in the middle of this story, there's a second story. On the way to Jairus' home, Jesus heals someone else. So let's jump back to verse 20 for a second. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. In this story here, the woman had been bleeding for 12 years, and we understand this to be menstrual bleeding. And she was likely anemic, which would mean, you know, she's tired and weak and pale and maybe dizzy. But because this was menstrual bleeding, she was also considered ritually unclean. So she was excluded from social and religious relationships. So all of a sudden we see that not only does she have health needs, but she has social needs and she has spiritual needs as well. And she has been put aside by her society. She has nowhere to turn. She is, in our definition, our language today, a marginalized person to a great degree. So I think what we're seeing here, what we're certainly seeing here, is that this story is really about two very different People. And we could update our one-sentence quippy description of the text to be Jesus healed some very different people. Well, I'd like for us to watch just a short three-minute video here. And I'm going to warn you in advance, the cheese ball factor on this video is a little on the high side. There is some horrible music in the background given the subject matter. And it's a government video, so it does have a wee hint of a political agenda in it. But what I want us to draw from this are the statistics. So let's pay attention to those. We'll watch this, we'll come back, and we'll talk about what Jesus has to offer us. So let's be honest for a moment. Inequity exists. It is a real thing. And if I'm being honest again, I have to say I struggled to figure out how on earth I was going to talk authentically about inequity today. If you look at me, I am pretty much the picture definition of privilege. You know, I am a white middle-aged male. In terms of my health care, I can expect to call my family doctor and receive a same-day phone appointment right now. Uh, last year, I had some heart rhythm difficulties, and I had a rather expensive cardiac monitor implanted in my chest, and that was followed up with a cardiac procedure at the hospital. I had a surgeon, an anesthetist, more than half a dozen nurses, and the government covered for all of this, and I was not asked too many questions in advance of it. For comparison, while I was researching for this talk today, I came across the story of a young black man in the GTA. 
He was seeking treatment for some really severe pain. And before anyone would treat him, run any tests, they asked him questions like, are you just looking for drugs? Is this a mental health issue, not a physical issue? Are you making this pain seem worse than it really is? No one asked me questions like that about my heart condition. Well, this young man turned out to have a spinal condition that required some serious corrective surgery. So again, being honest, let's say that an inequity exists. And my purpose here is not to point fingers at our healthcare system at all. My point is to say that this is a systemic social issue that just has its fingers in all corners of our society. And that's my personal belief and conviction, and I'd be happy to dialogue with anyone about that and you know, dig into that a little bit further. Um, but for the purposes of today, let's jump on off just calling this a systemic problem. And big systemic problems like that kind of make us sit here and go, well, I'm an individual, what can I do about that? And here's where I want to look at what Jesus offers us. And we're going to look at this in three different areas today. Well, there's a number of purposes for the narratives of the healing stories in Matthew's gospel. They establish Jesus' authority and power over the natural world. They reveal Jesus' identity as the expected Messiah. And I think it also shows us something about Jesus' compassion. And that's a trait that we see all throughout the gospel writings. In Matthew 14, 14, we read, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. In Mark 1.41, it says, Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. In Philippians 1.8, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Jesus has compassion. I think these stories also teach that compassion is for everyone. Yes, Jesus went and showed compassion through healing to the privileged ruler, but he also stopped and showed compassion to the woman, to the marginalized. And in Matthew alone, we see, I think, Jesus' particular compassion for the marginalized. If we flip back a few pages to chapter 8, we find that Jesus shows compassion through healing to lepers who are marginalized by their health. We find that he showed compassion to the Gentiles who are marginalized because of their ethnicity. And we see that he showed compassion for women who are marginalized by their gender. The healing compassion of Jesus was for everyone. It is for everyone. Here's something else that I think we see here. Let's have a look at verse 18 again. 
While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she'll live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. So we find Jesus here in this scene. He is actually in the middle of teaching the disciples of John the Baptist. The ruler comes to him and says, come, heal my daughter. Jesus gets up with all of his disciples and he goes. Now let's look at verse 20. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And then we know the rest of that. Jesus healed her. Just then, the woman came. Jesus stopped teaching to go and show compassion by healing to the man's daughter. And then while he's on the way to do that, he stops again to show compassion by healing to the woman. Here's something I'd like us to understand about Jesus. If you're anything like me, your picture of Jesus might be of a very serene, peaceful, calm, contemplative Jesus. That's the way a lot of paintings make him look. That's just the image I've always had in my head. But Jesus was a busy guy. Let's flip over to Mark chapter 6 for just a moment, and you'll see what I mean. This is Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. You know, sometimes I think that my calendar and my task manager look like a rainbow explosion on my screen with all of their color-coded to-dos, but I don't think I've got anything on Jesus. He was so busy, he didn't even have time to stop and eat. Have you ever had days like that? You can ask anyone at the church office that if I don't take the time to stop and eat, I get downright hangry. But Jesus stops, and he stops because of his compassion for people. And that's what we're seeing here in our text in Matthew 9. Jesus is teaching, he stops to show compassion by healing, then he stopped again by his compassion on the way to the first healing to do a second healing. The compassion of Jesus. So here's what we've learned so far. Inequities exist. There were marginalized people in Jesus' time and there are marginalized people today. And Jesus' healing ministry was motivated by compassion to everyone. Secondly, we've seen that Jesus' compassionate responses are immediate. 
you know, he didn't say to the woman on the road, well, I'm on the way to this other person's house to do a healing. You wait here, I'll come back. His compassionate responses are immediate. He sees and he goes. And I'm betting there are some of you out there who are watching and listening today who need to hear this. Jesus sees you. Jesus' compassion is for you. There are no barriers to you. There are no restrictions to you. There's no waiting. His compassion is for you. Well, what does all this mean for us, for his church? I think to answer that, we need to look at one of the larger narrative threads that weaves its way throughout the entire Gospel of Matthew. And this is the cool thing about zooming out and seeing what the Gospel authors were up to in a broader sense. What was the overall idea or ideas that they were trying to communicate to their audience? Matthew was writing to largely privileged Jewish people or Jewish Christians of his time to convince them of the veracity of the identity of Jesus as the Messiah. So I think it's interesting that his audience were fairly affluent people to start with. But one of the things that Matthew talks a lot about throughout his gospel is the presence of God. He reveals that God is present in Jesus. Jesus is Messiah. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew reveals that Jesus is present in the church. And here's the bit for us. The church is present in the world. And that's for us, for sure. Like it says in Matthew 5, the salt and the light out in the world. This means in today's context for our teaching that we are to be the means by which his equitable, immediate healing compassion reaches everyone. Now, I don't know about you, but to me that sounds like a really tall, tall order. So I wanna begin wrapping up by taking it down to a really practical level, a manageable level for us. We are in the midst of a pandemic. We all know that. We've all lived that for the last 13 plus months. We are in the midst of a pandemic. Literally, the entire world is being affected by the same problem right now. And it's also revealed to us that there are haves and have-nots. We know that, but this pandemic has put the spotlight on that once again for us. Painting with really broad strokes, Canada is in the have camp. And I'm painting with broad strokes there because I know this doesn't apply equally to all of us. We're all coming from different situations. But in the broad strokes, Canada is in the have camp. You know, for as frustrating as the last 13 months have been, we can go out and we can get health and cleaning supplies with relative ease. Those are available. 
we can feel fairly secure knowing that if we get sick, there's a hospital bed for us. And if we get very sick, there's probably going to be a ventilator. And if we so choose, we'll get our dose or doses of vaccine. And that's just not the case everywhere. And that seems way too big to be fixed. That kind of stuff is the stuff that's the realm of organizations like the United Nations and the World Health Organization and governments of countries working together. And I can't sit here in front of you and rightly say that I know how to help us apply Jesus' ethic of compassionate healing for everyone. But here's what I do know. That there are ways for us as individuals to make a difference. There are ways for us to be immediate in our compassion, in our healing response as Jesus' church. Here's a little something for your consideration this morning. This is MCC Canada. Our denomination partners extensively with them. They have an excellent track record and a trusted reputation around the world to work in places that are in need because of the pandemic and other reasons right now. If you visit their website and scroll to the bottom of the homepage, you'll see a number of urgent COVID-19 related needs. Things like health supplies and PPE for frontline workers, food where COVID-19 has heightened food insecurity, and hygiene kits to help sanitize. Closer to home, New Life partners with Out of the Cold in Collingwood to address food insecurity in our community. And more volunteers and donations are always welcome there. In our New Life family, we're preparing to launch something called New Life Neighborhoods. And we're still in need of some community caregivers. And you can be immediately involved in Jesus' compassionate healing ministry to folks who are experiencing loneliness. All of that info is down in the description below the video for you. Just tap the See More link and that will show up for you. As you're moved and as you're able, um, I'd encourage us all to consider something we can do today to bring a little more of Jesus' compassionate healing equitably into the world around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for blessings you have given us. And I know even as I say that, that that is experienced in different levels by everyone who is listening today. So we acknowledge that. We pray for those who are listening and are experiencing difficulties accessing care who are experiencing difficulties with their health and getting what they need, who are experiencing food insecurity. God, I thank you for the presence of your spirit that brings the compassion of Jesus into us as individuals. We have free access to that because of Christ. We give you praise for that. We give you our thanks for that. We give you our worship for that. 
And we pray that that same spirit that we have gratefully received, you would enable us to share with those around us. Would you use your spirit to open our eyes to the inequities around us, to those who are in need close to us and far from us? So that your compassion, Jesus, your healing can be spread to everyone. That's your heart. And we commit ourselves as your church to be used as the means of delivering on that. Thank you for teaching us by your spirit, by your word as it's best revealed through your son today. And we pray this all in his name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. In just a few minutes, we're going to be opening up our virtual lobby. We would love to have you join us there on Zoom for some conversation and some prayer together. These have been great times of sharing after our broadcasts on Sunday. All of the login or call-in info, again, is in the video description below, or there's links in your weekend newsletters in your inbox. Love to see you there. Have a great week, and see you soon.